Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I have to tell you, I'm actually in a good mood, and I'm going to the doctor after I record this. Usually when I go to the doctor, I'm a little scared. I mean, because you know my whole heart problem in the last year and a half. When I would go see my cardiologist, Dr. Dan, he would always sit there and make me come back, and they'd give a test for me and all this different stuff. And put stuff up to me but now when I go and see him it's I see him every four months because I've made a great recovery but I'm going to an ears nose and throat guy today which is great because my new insurance is awesome and it runs in my family we get our ears clogged so I can't hear the good thing is I'll be able to hear but the bad thing is now when the lovely Joanne's talking to me I can't ignore her because she'll be like well you just got your ears clear so anyway we have a great guest I got a little story about our guest I met this guest about 15 or 14 years ago. So when I first moved up here and I was waiting tables at Planet Hollywood in Beverly Hills and my friend Don Cesario opened up a theater called The Elephant Stage, which I think later this gentleman may have done um, uh, uh, David Mamet play. Uh, I'm not sure, but we'll talk about it. But I remember, I, I, you know, we would wait on stars, but we would never, we never met any of them. And it was this fundraising thing, and that's when I smoked cigarettes. Me and my friend are outside smoking cigarettes and drinking a glass of wine, and my guest John comes up and goes, "Hey, fellow thespians, have a wonderful night." And we were so happy because we're like, "Oh my God, a celebrity talked to us." And my guest is John Polito. How you doing, John? How are you? Nice to see you. It's, I remember that it was years and years ago. I think you did. I think you did a. a I did a play. mammoth reading for okay. that theater uh, of American Buffalo because uh, they needed some funds and we put a little uh, fundraiser. And actually, my career way, way back when American uh, Buffalo. The play by David Mamet was first done in New York. I ended up standing by for, for this guy, Ken McMillan, in the original cast wow. back in 1977. So I contacted Mamet to see if he would let me, without, without charging me, uh, do the reading uh, for funds. And, and he was very sweet about it, and I got to do the reading of American Buffalo, getting to play the part that I only understudied years before. But that's awesome. Now, now you said, are you a smoker? Were you a smoker back then? Am I? Was I? Yes, of course. Okay, I, listen, I, I thought you, you were smoking think, back then. I was, how do you think I get a voice like this? <laughs> I, how do I get my voice? I quit smoking two years ago. Yeah, I mean, but it still stays on you. It's that smoking, uh, what do you call it, charm or grizzle? Or, I, I don't know what you call it. So you we were talking off air. You're from Philadelphia. Philly. And uh, even though my parents are from the Northeast, that's not really Philly. I said that's not Philly. But now, now we talked about Robert Picardo. And you said you this is very strange. Robert Picardo, when I was, one of the first plays I was very successful for when I was in New York was a play called Gemini. And the play mood, I, Sigourney Weaver was in it, Reed Bernie, wonderful people. Anyway, the play was picked up to move to a theater, and I was not picked up with it. It was a really disturbing sad event in my life and the person who replaced me was Bob Picardo so I always had a little edge about him and then I saw his work and thought he was wonderful I saw him in Gemini he was better than I was and uh, just this morning out of the blue I got a phone call from uh, Robert Picardo who many sci-fi people know from his uh, wonderful performances on uh, in the sci-fi shows and I think he's a terrific actor anyway I had I'd gone to a uh, a place to pick up some photos and saw his picture there, so I left my phone number and said, hey, Bobby Picardo, it's John Polito. If you ever want to say hello to me, and I got the call this morning, and you brought it up right now, it's kismet. Isn't it crazy? It's crazy. So now you're in Philly. You're in, Philly. You're in Southwest Philly. Yeah. Now as a kid, did you ever think you wanted to act, or what did you? What, yes, what, I did. What drove I was, you to the acting? Well, my, my, my brother was a, a stop-motion animation guy, so we always had like dinosaur films in our, in our house. We were making little clay dinosaurs, and he became actor. 
actually a, a professional special effects guy, animation. And so I'd watch that. He introduced me. He was a, a kind of obsessed with old films. So as a kid, he would take me to things like the original Phantom of the Opera, which used to, in Philadelphia, we had a great theater that played the original Prince and stuff. So I saw, um, uh, I watched uh, a lot of Lon Chaney stuff. And then I began to watch movies on television. At that period of time, they started to show the old Warner's films and stuff on a show in Philly called The four, the 430 Movie, I think. And the theme was, ba-dum, dum, dum, dum. Dum da dum. Okay. You don't remember. I think no. I'm. I, you I'm, don't know I'm, what I'm the think, hell I'm, thinking, I'm talking about. I, I keep about. thinking Wee Willie Webber when you're talking. I know Wee Willie Webber. Was I was another thinking. One. I was going Wee Willie Webber. And we had horror movies at night with uh, some crazy guy on Saturday night. Anyway, the uh, Shock Theater. Shock uh, Theater yes. with, uh, with uh, Rodan. Not Doctor Shock. No, I know he's uh, talking about crazy. These are stories nobody cares about. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it turned out I watched a lot of the old movies and became very obsessed with actually with character actors and with film. Uh, I then wanted to be an actor and got into the theater in high school, West Catholic High School, but was really fortunate when I got there because there was a Christian brother who was studying uh, for his third uh, PhD at Villanova University, which was a very hot bed of arts at the time, and he had those graduate students come to our high school and direct their projects with our students, so we began to... Uh, we began to do really serious theater in high school, and Villanova watched my work, and I was given a scholarship to Villanova because I also wrote a musical. There was two things that they uh, accepted me for, and so I was able to get a scholarship to Villanova University for theater, the first uh, undergraduate scholarship they ever gave out. Okay. So that meant I was being pushed towards more and more theater. And that was it. And so, then I went right to uh, New York. So you went. That was that was a gravitational. You just yeah. went from Philly to. Well, New I also Vision. actually there was a great theater, the Walnut Street Theater, right. and I worked for them and got my union card, right out of college. And then I did a. My brother was doing. Uh, uh, had access to people who were doing what they called industrial and military films then, and uh, that's how I got my uh, Screen Actors Guild card. So I had both cards when I got to New York, at twenty three. Uh, when I moved to New York. Do you remember back then uh, in the area, in the tri-state area, and, and there's one in Valley Forge, and there's one in Cherry Hill where I grew up, Amazing. the the, um, the the theater in the round? Yes, and I still remember I was a little kid, and th that wasn't too far from us. They had one in Cherry Hill, and I saw the unsinkable Molly Brown with, with Tammy Grimes. I know it well. And I... I was little. I cried because they shot a gun and it scared the hell out of me. But well, I remember you were a very sensitive. I was, child. I was, just, I I so was not sensitive. too sensitive. But so you go to New York and you're just you're, you're basically cold calling now because you, you. I mean, what? Hold you've on, done, but can I stop about what you just said? Not only that, when they had those theaters and those companies, Robert uh, uh, Forster, uh, the great actor, right. who's uh, I saw him do a Streetcar Named Desire with Julie Harris. He played the Stanley Kowalski role, and I, I see him now. And he's like this old curmudgeon, and I always tell him how brilliant he was as Stanley. You got to see some great theater. The, these kinds of things, were people were exposed to theater then, and it was a big event. And that was an important thing. So I go to New York, so what? No, so you go to New York, and what do you do? You sit there, and you, well, you, you have your car, you have your union I card. I have a major story about how I got a break. I want to hear that. Uh, well, there was a woman named Ellen Stewart. She was La Mama. She was the head of the off-Broadway movement, and she came to Villanova University, and she gave a speech. And uh, there was a session with my acting group and with her, and everybody asked very serious questions about the theater. And I raised my hand and I said, Miss Stewart, Miss Stewart, how do you be a star? And everybody groaned and all this. And she looked at me very seriously and she said, uh, Well, you have to want it bad enough. And that was it.
And then I was about 300 pounds in college, and then I lost all this weight. I was down to 150 pounds when I graduated, and I went to New York. This is now three and a half, four years after I meet this woman from one afternoon, and I tracked down her phone number. She was the only person I knew in New York. I was there a month. I didn't know how I was going to start. And I called her uh, apartment over and over again, got no answer. At one o'clock in the morning on a Saturday night, after three beers, I thought, I'm going to call her again. And she just got in from Europe. And I said, Miss Stewart, this is John Polito. You'll never remember me. And she said, you are a heavy boy who wants to be a star. Wow. She remembered me. And I said, well, I'm not heavy anymore. I'm about 150 pounds. She goes, she interrupted me and she said, we just lost our lead in a play at the, from La Mama. You'll come in and read for it tomorrow and it should start your career. And that's what happened. I went in the next day, got the lead of the play, got reviewed in the New York Times, and I began to work off Broadway. So you're working off Broadway. You're working, you're concentrating on stage. Yes. Now, how long do you do that? I did that for, until, um, uh, I did theater uh, for 20 years. So I was there really from 70, uh, from, yeah, 74 to 94. That's when I moved down to New York. But I was out here doing television. I was all over the place doing television. Um, I had gone out when I was, I won the Obie Award for Best Actor when I was 29. In what, in what show? It, it was for five different performances. I actually did six that year, but five of them were eligible. And they gave it to me for a con collection of performances from these different theaters. They called me a Best Actor for this combination of roles. After that, I decided I'd try L.A. And there was a, um, I read for a television series called The Gangster Chronicles, which was going to be a, rep uh, a reproduction of the whole Meyer Lansky, um, uh, the whole story of the boys, right. the three, uh, the, 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 the guys, Lucky Luciano and, um, Bugsy, and Siegel. Bugsy Siegel and Meyer Lansky was going to be made by NBC. And I read for a smart, small part and uh, they responded by saying, you're very good, but we're going to cast it in L.A. So I said to my father, I think I should try L.A. And uh, he said, I'll give you the money. Just go out. And I went out on a Friday. I read for it on a Monday, and I got it that afternoon. So wow. my first audition in L.A. I got, and I started a, I did a television show, but I was there for six months doing it. And I said, you know, I went, I'm with the theater again. So I went back to New York. I did a couple of independent films, but mostly I worked in the theater. And that led up to, I mean, I worked with Faye Dunaway in a play called Curse of an Aching Heart. And, um, and I worked with Dustin Hoffman in Death of a Salesman. Uh, the the the, um, the the revival that introduced uh, Malkovich, uh, not introduced Malkovich, but it was John Malkovich and Dustin Hoffman, Kate Reed, who became a great friend, and uh, and that really led to one more play that I was some some casting person saw me and said, there we're doing a movie in London and we're going to fly you there to meet the director. I'd never heard of anything like this. I flew to London to meet the director and the movie was called The Highlander. Okay. And that was my first big movie. It must have been weird. I mean, it's just to think, you know, you're in, you have a series, so you have your career going, and then you move back. It's usually a lot of people leave New York and stay out here. I didn't, I, I was not very good in the show. I was not very good in film. Initially, I wasn't really very good in film. I, I didn't think the performances were, I thought I was very self-conscious. You know what it was? <clears throat> because my brother was in film and because I made my own little independent films, I made films in college, which got me through a lot of courses. I was very aware of the camera. So I felt when I acted, and I was now in a pretty good looking stage, let's say best looking I've ever been, was in my 30s. I was very aware of how cute I was. 
And I felt I was acting for the camera. I didn't think my performances really were as good as theater performances. So what I wanted to do was learn how to make that different. So after I did The Highlander, and then I did another thing called Fire with Fire with Virginia Madsen, I then was cast in um, Michael Mann's Crime Story in Chicago. Right. With um, Dennis Farina? With Dennis Dice, Farina. Dice Clay Anthony, was in it? And he, Dice Clay was in it. Yeah, Actually, I met him. I'll tell you the story about him. But anyway, and Anthony Dennison, who's now is wonderful and still a great friend. Anthony Dennison is in tr uh, True... No, he's, he's, he's in, in the crime... Uh, the, the Rizzoli Niles or True Crime? No, no it's Major true, Crimes. Major Crimes. Okay, yeah, okay. He's in Major Crimes right, right now, and he was on the other I just saw him on Excited, because when you watch Episodic, I just saw him in old... Like, in old uh, um, criminal Minds. You just you see these people pop up. Yes, and Anthony Dennison's been a great friend. Uh, Tony's been a great friend. Anyway, at that point, I realized what I was going to do was try to give myself the spontaneity I had in the theater in front of a camera. So instead of being aware of the camera, I began to know, I got to know all the crew people. I would get to know the prop guy, and I'd get to know the sound guys, and I would know them by name. I'd know the focus pullers. I'd know everybody that was next to the camera. And therefore, I began to perform for them instead of for the camera. Even if I'm doing another scene, I felt like I was doing a scene in theater with a front row, and that front row was the crew. And that made my performances a lot more spontaneous, and I thought that's when the acting began, to, began to, to burst off the screen where I could actually watch myself and not feel like it was acting. Okay. You know? I, I'm looking at your uh, resume, you know, from Crime Story. Then you did Miami Vice. Oh, that was which, a great I mean, what was it? Because it's so funny. We were just talking about that. When I was in college, Miami Vice was such a big thing. Like, we would watch it on a Friday night, and we were, we were idiots. We wouldn't shave, and we had yellow blazers, and we'd go out and to the come, parties come right with the espadrilles. And oh, we're like, man. And we I was thought so we were the there. coolest yes. thing. But it was, it was, I actually wrote a term paper on Miami Vice in college about how it changed, you know, the culture. And what's amazing was it was such an influential show, and I just found out it's on. Um, Netflix. I don't have to look at the episodes. Oh, you're, I'm going to go I'll back. I'll tell you what's I, also gonna... great about that. Netflix is doing some amazing things because a lot of the shows, uh, Crime Story and Miami Vice, they had a series. They had music that that was only leased for a slow, a short period of time, because nobody expected these shows were going to go on in, into infinity. Miami Vice, though, so therefore now when they're releasing them, you get to see them with the original music, at least Crime Story, I know has the original music, which is wonderful, because the choices are, uh, Michael Mann's a freaking genius when it comes to style and when it comes to music and all that. He really changed the face of television. Yeah, well, he always has by the glass an windows. And, yeah. and he's, a, he's a stylist, and he's a great stylist, Michael Mann, as well as being a great director. But anyway, um, Miami Vice was interesting because... There was a role that they, I was told by casting, we're having a little problem casting this role. He's gay, he is, uh, 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 takes cocaine, he sells cocaine, he's Hispanic, he is probably the most uh, excessive, extreme character, and we thought of you. And I thought, hey, good. And what I did, when I went to wardrobe, I, they said, There's, here's an outfit for your opening scene with padded shoulders. I said, wait a minute. Let's keep the padded shoulders in there, and let's make sure he always has padded shoulders, even if he's in pajamas, even if he's sitting in shorts. <laughs> so I made that the most, and never show my hands. I decided I was going to keep my hands covered, so I always had long gloves on. And I was surrounded by these beautiful Hispanic boys, and I'm doing this accent that he's, he's almost as bad as Pacino. El Gato. El Gato, he's the character <laughs> name. And I love that character, and it became quite a, a controversy and actually... 
quite well received and now a bit of a classic for those weird people that follow that stuff. I'm going to actually go back and watch that now because you can you can go through the season. I'm, I'm going to. It's the last season. The first episode I was introduced to El Gato was directed by Don Johnson, and the second episode was directed by an amazing man who did some great uh, effects. And oh yeah, it's way over the top. Actually, someone recently uh, pulled a scene where I was. Uh, over my, uh, one of my boys. I considered all the boys my lovers. It was really excessive. It's a funny thing when you're doing things about style. Because I was bald and I had these padded shoulders and I was so kind of grotesque, I saw a boy, uh, an extra. He had this incredibly gorgeous, long flowing hair. It was like an ad for it. And when, as soon as I saw him, I said, keep him always behind me, around me, for the contrast. I did this in Crime Story. I learned this in Crime Story. There was a guy who came on just for a, a single day for an, as an extra. Huge motherfucker. Oh, excuse me. A huge mother. A huge guy. And had sort of a bad eye. His name was Turk. Turk Mueller. Great guy. But I said, keep him next to me for the contrast. Because sometimes you can actually make the picture better right. by the contrast. And, um, and in, in Miami Vice, it was quite excessive and worked well. Now, Miami Vice, you were doing that and you're doing TV. How, what led you to working with the Coen brothers? Because every, you know, it's I posted you were going to be coming on our Facebook and everyone's, Miller's Crossing, everyone Miller's loved Crossing. Everyone, Well, Miller's I, Crossing was the one. And, and the thing that was funny about it was I had read the script in August or something. And I read that they said that there's this, I knew the Coens, I was, I was already following them. Did you, have you, had you Simple. met them? No. Okay. I had followed Blood Simple and Raising Arizona, which both of these were so extreme, various, very, very varied yes. films. Then this third one's coming up. And I read it. I actually reread it. Reread it. I read it twice. And I immediately assumed that I was going to be reading for this character, Johnny Caspar. So I said, yes, tell them definitely. I want to come in and read and have a meeting uh, for Johnny Caspar. And my agent said, wait, whoa, no, no, no. They don't want to see you for Johnny Caspar. They want to see you for the Dane. And I said, no, no, I can't. Basically, I said, I, I, I can't read for the Dane. I... I'm sorry. Uh, then I said, you tell them. I didn't know them, and I said, my agent, I don't think she told them, but I said, you tell them, I've got to read for Johnny Caspar, and they'll never find anybody who's as good for Johnny Caspar as me, and I won't read for the day. Who, played uh, the, who ended up playing the Dane? Uh, J.E. Freeman. He's brilliant. Okay. Anyway, so I go off. I do Miami Vice, these two episodes, and I do a play called Other People's Money, which I'm uh, in rehearsal for up at the, in Hartford Stage, and get a call. John, it's, they still haven't settled on Johnny Caspar. They have somebody in mind, but they do now want to read you for it. So I came down on a day off, and I read the opening scene, which is this gorgeous monologue, and I read, the first, I did, read it. And they stopped. They sent me outside. I waited, and they said, come on back in. We want you to read the next scene. And I did that cold, and then the next scene. And they did that. I read the whole performance in that afternoon for them. And, and then I was cast, and, and we, I was supposed to be playing the part opposite Trey Wilson, who's the wonderful guy who was the actor in Raising Arizona, who played Arizona. And he was about maybe 45, 48, and I was uh, 39. But what happened was Trey Wilson, unfortunately, in a horrible thing, had a brain aneurysm and he died. The weekend wow. we were starting Miller's Crossing. So that weekend, they, they said, hold on on everything. We're going to fly you to New Orleans. We don't know who's going to play that part. And then Finney, Albert Finney, got the part as opposite. That worried me because I thought we were supposed to be peers 
So I was very concerned about age and stuff. But on screen, you can't really tell age because I made. I was very happy to have a great hair and makeup person where I just basically said, I want to sort of like look like a bowling ball with a mustache. And they pulled back my hair and stuff. And, and Finney was a very generous actor and a wonderful actor. And the Coens are brilliant. So they some you don't really notice the, that right. of a difference between us. A very know? weird story about that. Um, Finney plays the uh, governor, no, the mayor, no. The, he is the other mob. He's the Irish mob. Well, there was, I just know there, there was a mayor and a police chief. Yes, they were his flunkies. And mine. The, either the mayor or the police, one was an actor named Richard Woods, I believe. And that was my, he read the uh, toast at my brother's wedding because my brother oh. married his niece. It was my just God. so small. Cause I remember you, cause, you, like the, you like the connection to like... Re- the connection of the arts to the real peeps. I love it. I, I love that. It's, it's, it makes. I, it I say, means you know, that they're just one step. You're one step away from. Exactly. We're gonna do six degrees of Kevin, uh, Stephen six Cooper. Six degrees. It's one degree of Stephen <laughs> Cooper for Christmas's sake. So, so Miller's Crossing. You're in that, and you play a despicable character. Now, do, do people sit there and start acting to you differently when you see him on the street? Do people recognize no, you? No. I want to tell you what's funny. You say despicable. Not despicable, he's, but he's just. The real fact is about these. I was never very good at playing really bad guys like real killers miller's crossing character he is violent at to a point but for the most part he's kind of a buffoon i've always played my bad guys almost as comedy and my comic roles almost seriously because they there's a buffoonery into that character so i was never people were never intimidated by my Let's say, I imagine, when you meet Anthony Hopkins, you can't get away from the fact that he's Hannibal Lecter. Right. I never had that kind of gravitas, let's say. I just, my characters were accessible. People were always, what's lovely about people with me is, uh, people that meet me, they never, there's never that kind of like all thing. Everybody feels like they can just run up and hug me and say they went to school with me or something. You're from Philly. You went to Villanova. If you're from Philly, if you went to Villanova, uh, we are everybody's people. So you're you're acting and you're in the Barton Fink and you're in Hot Soccer Proxy. Did they just call you and say we have a role for you, John? Yes, actually, after that, after the Millers, uh, they called me about doing Barton Fink, which I did not want to do because I wanted to play the role that Michael Lerner played. But they said, no, no, we wrote this role, Lou Breeze, for you. And it was really a brilliant thing. Franny McDormand's the one who, McDormand's the one who actually convinced me to do it, and it was a smart move. She said, you'll be showing your variation, basically. There's a whole story about that, but I won't get into it. But it turns out, going from that, that kind of crazy mob guy to the very nerdy character in Barton Fink was a great help for my career, that I was a character actor, could do lots of things. And then they told me, I was doing The Crow in um, the, the original Crow, and they were doing Hudsucker Proxy, and <coughs> excuse me, and they, had, they said to me then on the set, well, how would you like to, I was doing a little cameo, one scene thing in Hudsucker, and I remember Ethan saying, John, we got some ideas for you coming up. How would you like to make a pass at Brad Pitt? I said, well, I think that would be the most gorgeous thing of my life. I would be happy to do it. And they said, well, we got an idea about a barber. We're not sure. And that was all they said. The next thing I hear, they then offer me um, uh, Dufino in this crazy movie, uh, Big Lebowski, which I really couldn't make heads or tails of based on what they gave me. Uh, and I turn around and see Jeff Bridges in this crazy outfit. That was an insane thing. And that's how they wrote that part for me. And then, then it turned out many years later, they came up to me and said, we're doing the Barber movie. 
but it's not going to be Brad Pitt. It's going to be Billy Bob Thornton. Now, I love Billy Bob Thornton. He turned out to be the most brilliant thing. Have you watched world. Fargo yet, the TV? Uh, no, no, I haven't. It's I know. It's I just, very dark. It's, it's, no, I know. It's good. I know. It's good. Billy Bob Thornton is a freaking genius. At one point, I'm working with him. We're doing, and I, anyway, it turns out the end of that story is that they, they finally got to the barbershop movie. It was called The Man Who Wasn't There, and Billy Bob was the lead. But while we were doing, let's talk about Billy Bob. I flipped out about Sling Blade the way we all did. But I'm looking at him, and he's acting with me in this wonderful scene where I'm supposed to make a pass at him. And I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm thinking, how much weight did he gain to be that character in Sling Blade? And I finally said, you know, Billy Bob, I gotta tell you, man. Uh, first of all, I thought it was like it was like an Orson Welles introduction to us, to see you doing all this stuff. But also, how much weight did you gain? And you know what? I, and he goes, oh, he started to like make a little sound, and then he left, talked to the DP, the director of photography, and then he came back. When he came back, he hitched up his pants, he changed his jaw, and he began to turn into this. And he was playing around, playing, doing that character in, in the, just to show me. I'm telling you, that man gained, I'd say, about 12 pounds just by hitching his pants. Wow. His, his demeanor, his chin, it was, it, was, it was like watching a Jekyll and Hyde trans. And I thought, look, this man, Billy Bob Thornton, is a genius. I've gotten the opportunity to work with some of the greats. I got to work with Brando. I would put Billy Bob Thornton with the Brando, the Hoffman, uh, the the brand was the freshman. That was the freshman okay. with Matthew Broderick and, and the and, lizard. Uh, <laughs> Everyone big remembers that big lizard. lizard. A lizard. Nobody remembers the movies I'm in. I got to make new ones. I, but no, I'm just okay. So you you were doing a lot of movies and you were going to TV. So you ended up yeah. going to Homicide. Oh, Homicide: Life on the Street, which what a series that which was. Um, <clears throat> I remember when it came out because I've always been a big Barry Levinson fan. Yeah, I've always liked it. And now, did they approach you because they had seen your movie work, no. or or did you sit there and go, did you want to get a series? Or were you, no, you, you as a matter of fact, if you want to know the real truth of that, excuse me, the real truth was I had I had just finished doing a a thing for Aaron Spelling. I finally got my apartment in Los Angeles, and I had my apartment in L.A. I'd spent really spent time getting it all together, and said, now I'm going to stay here in L.A. And my agent said, uh, there's this show. And I said, I don't want to hear about anything. There was no money. They said there's very little money. And I had built my quote up. We had quotes in those days that were respected. And I was making, I would have made a nice amount on a series in L.A. And they are going to sell me, send me stuff. And they said, we got this thing, this, this thing called MSI. And I said, I don't want to read it. I don't want to read it. I don't, I don't want to go to Baltimore. I don't want to go back east. I just, well, but what they wisely did was send me three scripts. And on the fourth Underneath the third script that I was reading were these three pages that was the opening scene of the series, the very opening scene. It was between, I believe, an Irishman and a Polish guy. And I read this beautiful, beautiful scene, uh, amazing scene. So I said, okay, all right, that's enough. All right, all right, all right, all right. I, I have to read for it, and I want to play this particular part. But then... There, once again, the, whoever the casting was was not interested in me for this one part I wanted to read. There was two characters. So I said no. And I was somewhere in New York doing some gig, and it still came up that I would read for it. And I read for it in New York with this casting guy, but I don't want to play the part I'm reading. So as I'm doing it now, it's, from, it's Baltimore. I'm from Philly. So when you talk in Philadelphia, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, exactly, yeah. You go downtown, you have a hoagie and a coke, and you go down the ocean and all this, oh, down the shore, and all this stuff, and I'm doing, and I start to think. So I do my reading, 
but I say on the audition in front of the video, Mr. Levinson, I'm from Philly, and I know Baltimore, so I really would like to come back, not for, not for the role I'm reading for, but for the other guy. So I'm going to read this one guy, but try to bring me back if you want to see me again for the other guy. And I'll be damned if Levinson and Fontana didn't bring me back when I was back in Hollywood and brought me in to read. And I got to reverse roles. And I was cast in the role that was initially, I think, a Polish guy. And they cast Clark Johnson, a black guy, in the role that was the Irish guy. So they didn't play with the actual nationalities. They picked the best actors. Clark Johnson and I had a magical time with him. I thought he was a brilliant actor. And, and I got to play that incredible part. Very real loser of a, of a detective. And the show was rather interesting, controversial, and it wasn't a big ratings thing, but it became a classic. Yeah. And without me, though, I, I was let go. We had a little... What happened attention. there? Well, there's a lot to go on. I was I was excessive in my life, let's put it that way. But also, NBC, uh, I was told NBC uh, didn't have, wasn't getting the ratings they want. They were going to add guest stars. And that they had to um, bring on a, a new female character. Because Melissa Leo, brilliant Melissa Leo, was not going to pander to doing makeup or anything. She was playing her cop as a real woman, and they wanted a, another woman on. So... Fontana was saying to me, I'll bring you back, just, just, we're not going to bring you back now. And I thought it was a bunch of bull. I didn't believe Fontana. I should have, because Tom Fontana truly does, is very faithful to his actors. I saw what he did with, with Edie Falco. I mean, he really made Edie Falco. And he was, I think she thanked him when she won her first Emmy. He was very faithful, but I didn't trust that. And I basically badmouthed Fontana. And I badmouthed Levinson in the papers, and it really was it was a stupid thing to do. But I was very excessive at the time, so I burned a bridge. I was brought back for the Homicide movie later, and of course in Hollywood nothing lasts forever in terms of bad blood or good blood. Um, so I was able to hopefully make up for my mistakes, but uh, it was a major mistake about the way I handled Fontana. So I got the one season out of it, and my character I thought was very impressive. You know what's which is great when I talk to character actors that have a long resume? I see different shows that I remember, like you were on Dream On. Oh, man, I love Dream I, On. You know what's funny? I, get, I have that HBO uh, go, because I have HBO, and they say all the series. But you can't find Dream On. You can't find First and Ten, the football ones. You can't find any of them. No, Dream, Dream On was, such Dream a, great was a great show, which was real, and that's uh, produced by uh, Landis. Uh, uh, who was a, you know, uh, what's his name, Landis. Uh, John Landis. John Landis produced that. And it also, here's a very interesting thing. It starred um, Brian, uh, Brian Benben. Ben. Brian Benben was Meyer Lansky in my very first show, Gangster Chronicles. Okay. And that's when he met his gorgeous wife, who's on Revenge right Madeline now. Stowe? Madeline yeah. Stowe, who he met on, on that show, and they've been married all this time. So it was wonderful to work with, with him. But that was a great character. And the great part for me was... The character that I was recurring on was supposed to be like a Goomba gangster. But I had gone, they slowly were getting me a little fay, a little fay. There was going to be a little bit of, little bit of uh, what you'd call sexual ambiguity. Until finally they were, I went up to them at one episode, they had me choreographing a musical that was disgraceful. And I was popping pills and I had a scarf around me and I'm doing a step one, two, three. Ridiculous. And I finally, and they said, John, we're thinking of writing an episode for you. So I remember saying, well, look, maybe we could do something about, I, I want to publish a book about my time in prison, you know, uh, love in prison, I mean, not just sex, something like, and they started laughing, they said, no, no, we got another idea, and I'll be damned if they didn't write an episode where I fell for uh, Brian Ben Ben, and I got to play the same character, 
Miller's Crossing character more or less coming out of the closet. It's a funny thing I say as an actor, we all, you find yourself in film, you build a character, you make a character. That character, something like a Miller's Crossing, like the old character boys, like the Walter Brennans and stuff, they had a collection of characters in their closet, in their repertoire, and they would pull them out. That's what you did at Warner Brothers, they'd say. You know, get him, to, that guy who does that, and bring out your judge. Bring out. And that's the way I felt like I built up my career. A nerdy character that, with glasses that I played in Barton Fink is one, the detective in Homicide is another, and the Miller's Crossing Gangster is another. And there's a series of these characters. I, well, what I did on Seinfeld was a, was, was a very strange new character. I want to talk about that because it's funny because uh, a lot of people here have worked on, a lot of them, I guess, have been on Seinfeld before. Yeah, who hasn't? Yeah. And they said it's just, um, and sometimes they said they would read for a part and they didn't get it, but then it would come back and they'd be like, they get a different part. <coughs> yeah. Now, did Seinfeld, did they look at you or did no. someone say audition? Because No, there was an audition. Look, I'll tell you, man, I work for everything. But the funny part about the Seinfeld was I, they, they worked very quickly. They would put their scripts together. They would, I got a call on a Friday that I was going to read Saturday morning, which is very unusual. Uh, and the show was going to be in front of a live audience on Tuesday. It was that fast. Uh, as the landlord, Silvio, in this blog. Anyway, I have an old fax machine, one that has a rollout stuff. And I get the, the sides, and you had to rip off the papers. And my side was for the hallway scene with Kramer. It's actually online. You can see it anywhere. And, there's, and I was supposed to, it says, Silvio walks up and says, what? are doing that's the way my fax was i said what are doing what is, what are doing oh he's oh i do it like with uh, mid-eastern general uh, i make up accent of from where he is nobody know and i make up the accent then i'm looking at i have the rest of the scene and i thought hey i could use a comb over the barton fink comb over so i put this little hairpiece on comb it over so i walk into the audition on saturday i want my character boys are there and and I said, okay, guys, what accent are you using? And they said, what do you mean accent? There's no accent. I said, oh, yeah, it says what are doing. And it, says, it doesn't say what are doing. It says what are you doing? <laughs> My copy is. And I said, oh, wait, wait, this is. And bang, they say, first person in, John Polito. I said, oh, yeah. And I walk in front of uh, Larry David and, and Seinfeld. And I said, oh, I'm a guy, Seinfeld, I thought the character, what I, I, I picked this accent. I, I, big, I put the hairpiece and Seinfeld says, Where's the hairpiece? And I said, this comb over, these strands of hair, this is a hairpiece. And he said, so try the accent. And I tried the accent, the character, and I got it. And that's unusual because when the first one to read, it's the kiss of death. So it turned out I got to play that character, and that was one of the, it's one of the great episodes, one of the millions of great episodes. And uh, I got to say, love me, want me, oh, that's great when you're saying, oh, look, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yes, yes, you are right, yeah. So what are some of your favorite other roles you've played? I mean, you've been in so many things. I mean, what are some, when you sit there and say, people say, you know, some of your top five roles, and you've been in so many TV shows, and you've been, you know. Well, there's, see, the problem is there are roles that I adored that didn't really quite make it. What, what uh, there's a movie I did with uh, um, Simon Pegg and David Schwimmer called Big Nothing. Not the Big Nothing, so Big Nothing. Um, and uh, how's Alice Eve? Uh, it, it's got an incredible cast and a very dark film. And the film, I did that. At the same time, I did a movie called Stiffs with Danny Aiello and uh, um, uh, Louis uh, Venaria. Wonderful, wonderful actor. Wonderful people. 
Both of those films, I thought, man, when these two films come out, this is going to be it because they are entirely different performances and they're both going to come out at the same. Neither film made anything. So that was, they were actually both one of my, one of my favorite roles. The Seinfeld role in that character is something I keep with me. The Miller's Crossing role, the Barton Fink role. And I have to say, I love the guy and the man who wasn't there. But the Coen brothers, let's put it this way, all four of those roles are my favorites. When I get to other things that are uh, uh, created around, it's based on the moments that happen and what reads on screen. And you don't know what's, what's good. And basically, because I'm now 63, the great advantage for me was I played old when I was young. Okay. So now I've got to look at these roles and I've got to say, what can I do next? I can't physically do as much, but basically the face has pretty much stayed the same. One of the most fun I've ever had in a role that I loved was playing Danny DeVito's brother on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Okay, I want to ask you, because you know it's funny, I, I started watching that show in the very beginning. And the first, and even before Danny got before on there, Danny, and I would, just I would just sit there and I would just crack up because it was so out there and, and the characters were just, they're so... They're just so different, and they're just—it's again—it's—it's it's one of those things where, like, if you break down Seinfeld, they're just dicks, but you like them. They're total dicks. And that's the thing—they're just—they, I mean, the brother and the sister just hate each other, and then Devito comes along, and it just—it blows it out to another proportion because he's just there's so no, funny. There's never he, been any performance. I'm sorry, there, that performance should be getting Emmys. That performance, DeVito does things that no one would dare do. He's drinking wine out of the box in the car. I'd say the funeral. he would eat somebody's butt on camera if they asked. <laughs> he is the, it's the most ballsy and wonderful and absolutely committed performance now, from a genius actor. Before you did that, had you met Danny? No. Okay. Here's the story. And it's surprised you haven't. because Here's you always... the story. There's an interesting story. When I did this play, Other People's Money, I said to the writer, you know who should play this if they make a movie, Danny DeVito? And he goes, oh, no, no, no. I said, I'm telling you, he's the only one. But the play went on. DeVito, I was told, had seen the play. I, when I went to New York, I didn't go with it. I made Miller's Crossing. Uh, I did it in Hartford. Then I went and did Miller's Crossing, and the play opened up Other People's Money in New York with another actor whose performance was very different. Anyway, DeVito saw the, that performance, didn't have any interest in doing the movie. And then I went back into the play, the second, I think I replaced, yeah, I was the replacement for the actor when I went, I went back to New York, I finished Miller's Crossing, I went back into the play, DeVito saw me in it. And I had heard, only via the grapevine, that that is why, when he saw me do it, that he was able to say, that's a performance I'll do in the movie. What year was this? Oh, uh, this is all, no, these are all, this is all 1990, 1991. Okay. And they're going to make the movie of other people's money. Now, that's what I heard. Now, over the years, I, I, I do all these performances. There's somebody online who hates me, and he always says, <coughs> John Polito, he's a fake-ass Danny DeVito. And I thought, you know what? <coughs> I wish I was, because DeVito's brilliant. But anyway, so I never got to work with DeVito, and I hear this, and blah, 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 blah. All of a sudden, uh, this comes up. This sunny in Philadelphia, I'm offered this part. They make a very beautiful episode. It's flashbacks and stuff. And I'm sitting watching DeVito work, and at one point I turned, I said, I want to tell you, I really thought you are other people's money. And he goes, oh, you know why I did that? Because I saw you in it. And I thought, really? I was so proud that one of the rumors was true. And there we are finally sitting side by side. 
even when I did that performance, this one internet creep still says, he's still a fake-ass Dan DeVito, but I'd never worked with DeVito, and I'd never... I'd actually have to be honest with you. I was going through some phys... I'd just gotten out of the hospital, so I was a little less physically able. And because, let me tell you, DeVito's an athlete. That man can move and do anything. We had a disco. We had to fight. We, we had a lot of stuff to do in that episode. So finally, I not only got to work with him, I got to play his older brother. I got to actually screw the way he screws because I was told that his character learned how to screw by, by watching me. <laughs> so when I got to the screwing sequence, they said, you got to watch Danny because he said he learned it from his older brother. So I actually got to imitate Danny DeVito's screwing techniques. These are the moments you act. For, why you act? For the joy. Now, who is this, this creep? I mean, how do, I, don't, I don't understand. Like People find you online, and so the guy just bashes, the same guy bashes all you. I'm not going to tell you his name, but anywhere you look at, if you looked at any series of things that are, and they might have comments afterwards, nice things where people will say John Polito was nicer, just to say, or IMDB, all this stuff, any place you look, this guy tracks me down and will always say, all he says is one thing. John Polito's a fake-ass Danny DeVito. And that's it. He just, that's why you have to be very careful about the internet when you read comments because you'll think, oh my goodness, look at that. It's like a good review. And then all of a sudden you'll realize somebody's saying, I want to either uh, <laughs> screw him up the butt or kill him or, you know, have his baby. There's a lot of weird things you got to avoid by reading what happens with the public out there. Not that I don't adore every public person out there. Just saying. But yeah, plus the internet now makes it so much easier. I mean, back, you know, back in the day, a restaurant could get one bad review and no one would know. Now, if you get a bad review, everybody knows it. And of course, then they put you on Kitchen Nightmares and all that stuff And, and you know, the public used to be, be very nice. You'd see some people in the public. I must tell you, though, I've had actor friends where, you know, when the public would come up to them, if they played a tough guy, there would be a lot of challenging because somebody would almost, almost take them as if the, the tough guy they were playing. But now... Basically, the internet, I'd never really experienced what this was going to do except for this one guy who's out, out to get me. So I thought at least I'd get relief when I work with Danny DeVito, but he still thinks of me as a fake-ish Danny DeVito. Now, you go back from comedy to drama. Yeah. Now, you did Two and a Half Men. Yeah. Now, what was that like? Because I, I, I've heard that was a, it's a fun, I've heard different things. Some people say it's a fun show, some people say it wasn't. It was wonderful because of who I was working with. I wasn't, uh, I, I, I We were Charlie. I wasn't working with Charlie. I, my scene was with... Um, uh, Cryer? With, uh, yeah, Cryer. John Cryer is... Uh, John Cryer is well, one it, of the nicest people in the entire universe. And he's so good physically. Like, you watch him. It's like, whenever whenever I watch David Hyde Pierce, I go, <coughs> people, he's, he's got such he's an underlying like, physical comedy where it's like, he's almost like a Jack Benny. Like, he's got that, you know, the hand and just an amazing... Exactly. They, these are these men... Well, the Cryer's had such a, a diverse career where he's gotten... But when he reached this... It's a it's a really gorgeous performance from him, and he's a, a wonderful man, very generous. I didn't work with uh, Sheen. with Sheen, but I of course the set was all influenced by him. It was his show, and it was a wonderful uh, experience for me. But I I just had a massage from Cryer, and I farted. That was the whole gimmick. There you go. And uh, I'll tell you, that was easy work. Now you go back and forth. You do guest spots. Yeah, sure. What are some like you were just on Castle? Castle. And that was just on the other night. That was on the other night. That was uh, very funny. You can stand online right now, Castle. It was called That 70 Show, and I discoed. 
That's when you do. You had the good suit on. It was great. I had a fabulous suit. I wore all those old-fashioned things with bell bottoms and things. Now, how did you how did you dress in the seventies? Did you dress like those oh, guys? Or how, please, I you're know. not going to do this. I was just, I'm just wondering. I want to know how you dressed in the seventies. In the seventies, I did whatever fashion. When co- in college, man, I got platform shoes before anyone did, <laughs> and I had bell bottoms that would hang over the platform, so I was six foot two. And I, I had long hair. I had a chain I used to wear as a headband. I had long Oh, it was a nightmare. Actually, I'll tell you one thing that happened in college. I was so frightening because I also tried to, when I was first very heavy, I went from like 260 pounds to 150. But when I was 260 pounds, on campus, I used to walk around with bell bottoms and platforms and all that. And one time I was walking into what we called the pie shop. It was the... Um, the the I'm getting a little thing. I, the, it was the, the the place where you eat your sandwiches and stuff. And I'm walking in there in a snowy day, and somebody way in the corner I see takes a picture of me. I didn't know what it was. And the front page of the villain the Villanova newspaper was, "Student scares groundhog. Six more months of winter predicted, based on my fashions." So that was how badly I dressed at Villanova. Yeah. I, I love I love looking at resumes just the, mm. on IMDb. Raising the bar you were on, yeah, and now that the Bosco was, show, yeah. yeah, and Bosco who's legendary. I mean, you know, Bosco's an amazing man, yeah. and I'm doing now his other his new law show, which is called Murder in the First. And is Peter Onorati in that? Peter Onorati is, and he's an old friend. Yeah, because he, he was on a while ago, and he, and he was actually he was, just on Two and a Half. Uh, no, Two Girls and Two Broke Girls. Uh, yeah. Two Broke Girls. Yeah, Peter Onorati. But what? Then he's wonderful. I'm wonderful to watch. He's a lovely man and a great actor. He's been around since New Jersey guy. Time. Is he from Jersey? That explains it. Exactly. And his connection to Bochco was Cop Rock. Right. Which, which, which was, a, was a revolutionary show and it's a musical cop well, show. Here's what I was crack about. You said how Robert Picardo called you this morning. <clears throat> yeah. When I, when Peter was on my show, my second guest was an actress named Catherine Wilhoit. Oh my God. And, and she was in Cop Rock. And as they walked oh. out, I was thinking, on, okay, what is the chances I book two actors oh, on one yeah. day who both were on Cop Rock? It's just weird how what I've learned is everyone has a connection to each other. Every, you know, oh, it's also work a with very, very small. Believe it or not, believe it or not, that once you start, there, you will have people that you will run into from the beginning of your career. As I told you, Brian, Ben, Ben worked with in 19... Uh, 80, and I worked with them in 1996. Not that you're going to see them all the time, but there is a community, especially of the character guys, because you don't, we don't consider part of the community, I would not consider Dustin Hoffman part of the community, because they're the upper, that's the upper echelon. But of this group of us that are just the working bread and butter actors, we're everywhere, and we're, uh, there's a small community. A lot of you guys are Italian. Ray Abruzzo, no, Carmen no, Agenziano. No, you are not no, Italian. You are so full of it. I do let the other white people in as well. I don't know. I think uh, you guys are cornering uh, the market. No, 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 no. <laughs> so raising the bar, how was it like to work for Bosco? Did, did, now, did you know it was going to be a recurring role? or? Yes, uh, actually, that was one of the conditions. And I'm doing the same thing right now. Judge, I had actually said, I grew, the, I grew, I grew the, what we call the, we used to call it the freak flag when you had long hair. Let your freak flag fly. Well, as I get older, I put on the goatee. I looked at the goatee in the mirror and I said, hey, I'm going to call this the old man's freak flag. And I said to my agents, find me a judge. I look like a judge. I never played a judge. Was ju- your first judge was raising the bar? Was raising the bar uh, with a great group of actors. 
And uh, that was a good group. That was fun to work on. But I want to tell you, Murder in the First is going to be an amazing show. Now, what's it about? <clears throat> it's about an hour. No, it's it's going to be. Bosco did a show, I think it was called Murder One years ago. Yeah, and Peter was in that. Now, that was a revolutionary show because it was a one-case season. Now we're used to it, like the, the killing and all that, where you have one issue for a 13-week period. But Bosco was the first to do this in this Murder One show, and the show was not a success. This is going to be a success because, as, as the same premise people are used to now, oh, we can follow one case. So I gather, because I don't know, I wasn't around for the beginning of it. Uh, it was a it's a murder. It's the police being involved. It then gets certain lawyers involved. Um, it's got it's got the most incredible. James Cromwell is in this is in this thing. This is like watching a historic. This man's a genius guy. Another one of them geniuses. I throw that around. I don't throw it around. I use it properly. Anyway, uh, then there, you're going to get to the law. Then you're going to get to the case itself. And when you get to the case, I will be the judge of the case. Just three episodes. I did that right in between doing the, uh, the castle. And I did a little pilot with, uh, with uh, Michael Imperioli as well. So these are just a body of things for this year. I have nothing else. I have a movie coming out. But right at this moment, I'm just at a period of just finishing eight weeks of work, which is great. And I'm about to face the summer and see what the hell's next. Well, with the, when you said when you come in as a judge... Now, you're coming in, you don't know what the case is. Does that help you as an actor when you don't know what, you don't know all the background? Because you don't know. You I thought that was actually a great help. I didn't ask for much. I put together from the stuff I was hearing, I thought, you know what? Play this as it, as it lays. You're going to see the lawyers and you're going to see the, uh, you're going to hear the case. And you are supposed to be, it was very easy to just listen. Plus, I got to tell you, this is was a, be it's a beautifully directed the, Bochco, Jesse Bochco, his son was running the set and he is an incredible man and a wonderful force and he the set, the direction the acting, the camera work was incredible so I just had a ball watching everybody and just saying sustained, overruled chambers now, you know that kind of stuff and I did take it, take it as it was, I was getting the information when they were, when the audience is, is about when I'm going to be getting the same information, it was, it was a joy now, are you still doing theater at all? I know you no, I must say I've, I've stayed away from theater. Do you miss it, or you just don't want to do it anymore, or just it's it's a cause it's probably very grueling now? And just no, I I love the theater. I'll be honest with you, I'm a little bit of a it was it was a bit of my ego. I got some amazing reviews in the New York Times that I was really fun. Anyway, I went back and I did a play in '91 with Peter Regret. Uh, we did a play uh, called Road to Nirvana, and I was pretty much trounced, and I was kind of hurt me. And also, it was the eight performances. My problem with, with continuing was it wasn't being recorded. I, want my, I somehow wanted my work recorded. If, I could, if we could have a camera on the theater all the time and watch all the different performances, I'd like that. I needed, look, I don't have kids. I'm a gay man. I want a legacy. My legacy is my work. And I felt like the theater work... Although I've run into people who saw me different nights in different shows, and I've been cast because somebody saw me in other people's money or somebody saw that of a salesman, they'll put me in a movie. But I felt that that was the, the immediacy of it with the joy and charm of it was, was incredible. Um, but I, um, I, I wanted to have it recorded, so I sort of went out here. It's funny because I'm talking to Bob Carter today, and we haven't spoken in years, and 
he was telling me about the theater and what he's doing out there and how there's another actor, Ethan Phillips, a wonderful actor who's gone back and now he's on Broadway. And I got to say, I was envious of it. I don't know that I have the stamina to do New York theater anymore. And I believe New York theater or Chicago theater is the center of theater. I think when you do a play out here, it's wonderful, but you feel like people don't have the same regard for it out here. I'd love to do a Broadway play again, but I don't know that I could do it. I don't know that I could, I don't know that I could handle the city anymore. It's uh, it's tough for my age. Right. I, I was, when I was there, I would run everywhere in subways and running up and down the steps. I had a fifth floor walk up, for God's sake, and I wonder if I still have the stamina. I asked him about stamina, and he said he's doing pretty well. But Bobby Picardo's like this little svelte, little... Right. He never had any heart problems. He doesn't have any cancer problems. I had. Yeah, any, you, what was wrong with your heart? Because I have congestive oh heart God, failure. So. I had uh, heart, two heart attacks. I died. They brought me back again. I you actually, uh, you, you died. I died. Yeah. Wow. And then you brought, now, now did, I, was I was dead for a minute 50. Minute, um, one minute 50 seconds. Now, how do they explain that to you? I mean, because you think about it, it's like we don't, we, we hear stories, but then you're sitting there and all of a sudden they say to you, Oh, okay. You're better now. But no, oh, by no, the way, it you're was dead. A very dramatic event. I can imagine. It was, it it must it was be... very dramatic. I mean, because I was very fortunate when it happened because I would I had had a heart attack and I sort of knew it but didn't deal with it because I was at a wedding and I had to take my mom to this wedding and I le I went through the whole day after the heart attack pushing her in a wheelchair and that night when I was going to go back to my hotel I said I might be having another one and she called nine one one. And what came in was a six foot four Bubba guy who was a fan of mine. So he very carefully insisted I go to the hospital, put all my stuff on, and he was in the, I was in the emergency room uh, when I said, hey, something's happening, and my heart stopped. And he brought me back uh, with the paddles, and he, he gave me um, the banging on the chest and all that. And um, and said to me, I went. I just came to. I said, Hey, something's happening. And I saw this little white spiral coming out of it. And bang! I was out, going through memories of my youth. I didn't see anybody on the other side. I did not see the white light, but I certainly did see my memories uh, from the time I was a kid up till 16, when slam, I was vacuumed back, and he was on top of me, saying, Oh, Mr. Pluto, oh, we lost you, we lost you, and they brought me back. Wow. And then I had stents put in, and uh, now my heart's uh, working like a, like a dream. Are you still smoking? I do a puff now and then. Okay. Look, I have so little vices left. Let me have a few. <laughs> no, that's for me. When I walked out of the hospital, I quit two years ago. Oh, well, you have My heart is just, uh, I take puffs, and that's wrong. I, I do everything that's wrong. I, I, I have to say I, I had a very, very uh, excessive life. I was a very addicted person, a lot of cocaine, lots of... Lots of drugs, loved it all. Had a ball during all of it, and uh, then all of a sudden you have to stop. And I keep, you know, I'll, take, I'll go outside and have a puff when I leave here, one puff, and then put it out, and then I'll have a shot of whiskey at night. How do you deal with the food? Because my girlfriend's Italian, and I love when her mom came to visit the lasagna, everything. Oh, but it's so God. high in sodium and so bad for you. But it's so damn good. Well, you know what's the funny thing about the sodium thing? That's what my, I have to watch. You have to watch. I don't. I don't. My blood pressure medications keep me at a very low thing so sometimes it goes too low mine too and you get dizzy and my, I ask my cardiologist and he goes can you salt. can you get up salt. yeah I know and just like, takes up. exactly he goes can you get up I go yeah but I'm dizzy he goes well you know what don't worry about it when you when you can't get up off the ground that's not I think it. that's the wrong thing you have to be a little when you're going through a work day I don't know how you're doing but I'm going I'm acting when I'm going like that I have to have salt packs around or eat something salty you just have a quick shot of salt. Salt will just zoom you up. It's a balance. You're like you're balancing your life. 
This whole old age thing is like teeter-tottering on the edge. I'm here, I'm there, I'm alive, I'm dead. Who gives a shite? Right. We have a few minutes left. Uh, the pilot. Yes. Michael. Now, what was what was it? Was it a drama, comedy? No, it's a comedy. Michael Pirioli is brilliant. It's got an incredible cast, including an old friend of mine, Kelsey Grammer, his daughter, Spencer Grammer, who is gorgeous and funny as hell. I'm only doing a cameo. I, I don't even know whether they'll keep me in the show or whether they'll bring me back because they said they want to because basically the show is so beautifully positioned with a great cast. I just did a cameo in that, and that was live audience show. And that's, that's your theater thing uh, out here. If you want to keep theater in, do pilots, do half hours, do, do uh, comedy performances with a live audience. And uh, that's the way I keep that. that. That's the only theater thing I get now. Although now, talking to Bacardo, I'm all influenced to go back to New York. But, oh, who can make the five flights of and, stairs? And who can, who, can, who can deal with the weather? I mean, I, you know, it's... Oh, I'm sorry to say it. I got to tell you, everybody back east, I never heard moaning like I heard this year. Oh, it was awful. But oh, uh, Philly people went nuts. There were oh, 17 storms. Well, let me tell you something. I was bi-coastal going back to see my girlfriend for a year and a half. She moved out here in October. Last winter was fine. If... If I had been going back this winter, we would have broken up because would, I, I would have been would, delayed the whole time. You delayed the whole time. Let's just put a whole thing about the, I love the East Coast. I, I love the weather change, but I realized, hey, I don't know if I can do it. Now, is your mom still in Philly? My mom is still alive at 96. She's right outside of Philly, and she's in a, an assisted living right now. My mom also is, but she's in Virginia, which, it's, you know, but uh, it's because I'm closer to my sister. Do oh, you, that's it. My, yeah, mine was closer. What's close to my brother? Now, do you, do you go back a lot to Philly or not? I'm going in June. I've been making two trips a year. Uh, I was supposed to go back for a big film fa- festival thing where I've never done these conventions. All of a sudden, I seem to be in demand. But I'm, I'm trying to make a summer visit and a winter visit. Were you, good, were you good on the shore at all? Of course I'm going down to shore. What are you talking about? Are you a Wildwood guy? No, Good. Atlantic City. Hey. I went to college right near Atlantic City. Where? Stockton. Stockton. That's not even Atlantic City. No, I know it's not. But I used to go to Stone Harbor. So oh, that's you do? Stone Harbor Stone and Avalon. Because yeah. they're nice. They're, I would, oh, I would Avalon. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're great. You had to find a little click there or else you couldn't get any pretty girls because they were on Wildwood. Nah, but why would we go? We, what we do is, if we didn't get lucky in Stone Harbor and Avalon in college, which you didn't, I actually I, I had hair. I, I got a lot of. You had a lot of hair then. Yeah, I have a very. I have a beautiful girlfriend. I'll show you a picture. No one believes you are, it. You, you drive me crazy. I'm just saying it's it's the well, it's hidden talent. Is well, what it's, you that's got. what it is. Obviously, hung like a horse. No, actually, like a like a flea. Like, like I a understand. Flea. It. I want to thank you for coming on. Yeah, it was there. Now, it was how can people? Uh, Find my inform- information. Are you on Twitter? No, you on no you can go to, uh, if you want to find out what I'm on that, ever like regularly, all that stuff, go to the IMDB page. And now, which is wonderful about that whole system is they list what shows are on, what's coming. And do look for this movie, Big Eyes. The, the, I'm in the Tim Burton film with uh, uh, with Christoph Waltz and um, Amy Adams. It's going to be an incredible cast. When does that come out? I, I thought it was going to be the spring, but I think they're going to push it for Oscar, so it'll be the fall. Big part, little it's part. It's called Big Eyes. I'm a, I'm, I'm in about a, about an eighth of the movie. Are you I'm a nice a, guy? I, I am a very. I'm a, I was and I was a real person. I had to look up the real guy and play a real guy. Oh. I own a jazz club that starts uh, starts the the careers of the Keens, the painters, and it's going to be an interesting film. Tim, Tim Burton's a very interesting man. Well, I look forward to working with him and others in the future, and I look forward to meeting you later in our lives. I want to thank you for coming on. I thank you. People, so follow John Polito. Go to IMDb. Also, follow me at Twitter, at CooperTalk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have, I think, 250 episodes up. 
Also, send me an email, cooper at indie 100 You can always get in touch with me. Say hello. iTunes and Stitcher, it's Cooper Talk. Also, if you have an Android tablet or phone, go to the Google Play Store and type in Cooper Talk. You get my app. Don't forget, every Tuesday, I host Crappy Comedy at Jimmy's Place in Burbank. I bring five friends in, and we just do about 10 minutes at each of our acts and just have fun. So keep listening, people. I'm going to keep bringing great guests to you. Um, tell me who you want. Cooper at Indy100.com. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, take your vitamins, eat your vegetables, and you guys have a wonderful, wonderful weekend.